Welcome to The Lucent Perspective. I'm your host, Rebecca Hastings. I've spent over a decade working with executives in the tech sector and help successful companies build their leadership teams and scale. During my career, I've been lucky to have the privilege of learning from many exceptional leaders. In these conversations, you'll get perspectives from peers, be inspired, and learn what it takes to become one of the best. This is your chance to listen to experts talking about the challenges, solutions, and the vital insights they've gained in their careers to date. 82% of managers aren't equipped to be a manager. They haven't had the training. The super scary stat that I came across was there are estimated to be 2.4 million untrained managers in the UK workforce. Thank you for joining me again on this week's episode of The Listen Perspective. Today, I am delighted to share with you insights from a recent LinkedIn Live webinar that I hosted with Andrew Bardsley. Andrew and I actually worked together several years ago at the Scale Up FinTech Modular, where he headed up learning and development and I headed up talent. Staff turnover in the tech sector has been consistently increasing for several years now, so we thought we'd share our tips on how to keep your best team members engaged, the root causes behind some of the current high turnover rates, including generational shifts, misaligned expectations during hiring, tips on building management skills in your team and developing your culture. We also dive into the warning signs that you can look out for if you want to proactively retain your people rather than have to go through the costly process of backfilling roles. So whether you're a leader concerned about keeping your current team intact or someone who's simply interested in investing and making your company a better place to work, you should be able to get some great ideas from this conversation. So I thought it would be good if we start by introducing ourselves. I know that we know a lot of people who are on this webinar today. Thanks so much for joining us. But um, I know there's some people who maybe only know one of us or um, we're yet to meet. So I guess like, so my background, I'll start. Um, I have worked in technology sector recruitment for like nearly, nearly 18, 19 years now. Um, Most of that has either been in executive search or um, in-house or on like outsourced recruitment projects when companies need to grow quickly. Um, But most recently, yes, working exclusively in executive search, which is really exciting. And it's given me some great perspectives on leadership within technology companies just now. Yeah, awesome. It's great to uh, great to be here. Thanks for, for having me. Great to uh, yeah, great to be chatting today. Um, so yeah, for those of you who don't know, I'm Andrew. Um, I am the the founder of Jack HR. Um, so my background has been in the sort of the scaling tech space for about 10, 11 years now. Um, mostly focusing around like people projects, um, learning and development, leadership development um, in yeah, in sort of in tech companies, um, mostly all up in, in Edinburgh in Scotland, and uh, and yeah, some of the some of the sort of work I've been doing with those companies really led me to found Jack HR because um, I was seeing some similar challenges, some similar opportunities, um, and yeah, really just wanted to be able to help as many um, scaling teams as possible. Really, so excited to get into some of that stuff today. 
And Andrew and I briefly worked together at one point. Um, so when you were setting up on your own, you got in touch with me. And one of the things that came up was how increased turnover just seems to be a problem across the tech sector um, and just in general. So, um, you know, I'm frequently speaking to companies who are concerned because they have staff turnover of above 20%. And if you look at the stats, you know, it could be anywhere between the lowest was like 10.2%, like to 15% for the tech sector exclusively on average, depending on who you're asking on what day. But it's certainly, it's been um, a growing issue that for technology companies and one which is getting increasingly expensive for businesses to manage. Um, there's lots of stuff out there around the cost of hire, but I recently built a calculator, which I'm happy to share with anybody um, that want to drop me a message after. That's no problem. And we went through this example together and somebody who is, you know, earning 70,000, we'll say, um, you know, a, a good salary these days, if they've worked with you for six months and then there's a three-month notice period, if they were to leave within that first year, you're looking at recruitment costs of, you know, over £14,000 because you have to factor in the time that's been spent interviewing. You're looking at, you know, maybe £35,000 of salary. There's the benefits associated with that, which could easily be over another 10000 Then you've got training and onboarding costs. You may even have severance costs. There's management time, lost productivity. Then there's the lost productivity of the other people around them. And then the cost of anyone who leaves potentially because of a bad hire. And when I looked into all of that, the cost of someone on like 70,000 pounds, you know, in, you know, the figures might change depending on what benefits package or what your severance policy is. But it was coming in around about 130,000 there without factoring in whether or not they worked in a sales function. And certainly, you know, I do a lot of help building sales teams as well. And, you know, it can be a sizable percentage of someone's annual target that you have to write off on top of the salary costs there and you know the kinds of companies that we're working with that can easily get into hundreds of thousands of pounds really quickly because you know when you start to consider that opportunity cost so yeah the true cost of turnover can be pretty pretty expensive for any business that's going through that problem so we thought it'd be really valuable to get together and find out a little bit more about what is happening within the sector there. So I've talked a bit about the, the financial costs, Andrew. Tell me a little bit about the indirect costs. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's staggering some of these uh, some of these figures. I think uh, we must have been reading some of the the same articles as we were researching this, Rebecca, because yeah, some of those costs anywhere from from you know, in sort of broader terms, like half someone's salary up to two times someone's salary to to replace them, and and I think yeah, we can we can get almost a little bit blinkered sometimes by by some of those harder costs like the agency fees, the recruitment, the training. But when you start to dig a little bit deeper, I think that the problem really does um, really start to reveal itself. So I think you mentioned a little bit about productivity there, which is a, which is a really interesting one. You've got that sort of that ramp up time, getting people up to speed, you know, even with like the best onboarding programs that could be like three to six months. But I think what we maybe don't always factor in is, well, 
you know, maybe a job advert's been live for a for a few months. Um, and maybe it's a three month notice period. That's you know, that's so much time where work still needs to be done. You know, productivity yeah. is is it's, uh, yeah, it's been eroded over that time there, which is yeah, really interesting one. And to hire quickly is quite often expensive. Like it's always possible. So you might also have the cost of an interim thrown in there if you have got like a, if you can't wait. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think one one thing that that you can see with with this sort of lost productivity is the sort of the the impact that has on the people left behind. So um, you know, people picking up the work that's maybe being left over, I think that can have a huge impact on morale. You know, people start to feel a little bit resentful almost of the team that's around them. Burnout can start to rise. You've got presenteeism that comes in with with that. Um, people maybe start to then question, you know, why should I stick around and be the one who's who's doing all this and picking up all this extra work? So they maybe start thinking about leaving. Um I think in scale-up and startup businesses, uh, particularly, um, there's maybe a core group of people who have been involved in building the product or building the the business, and you know that could be crazy amounts of institutional knowledge that walks out the door, which is so hard to replace. I think, yeah, these these lot sort of more hidden costs really like really do start to run deep when you when you look into them. Definitely, and you know, within sales or any kind of like partnerships or customer success roles, you're also looking at the loss of those external relationships and maybe even like the there's value to informal industry relationships that people may have cultivated that, you know, there's, there's always going to be a ramp up period there too. So yeah, definitely lots of stuff for us to be concerned about. And that really, you know, um, we've, we've all worked in a company where there's been a lot of turnover or change at some point, quite likely, and um, picked up the slack. It's definitely something that we want to avoid, um, you know, so we, I guess, could cover off some of the things that we're seeing happen in the market just now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What What is it that you hear in, in sort of the market in terms of why people are looking to leave. I think yeah, it'd be interesting to hear a little bit about that. Yeah. So there's a couple of different strands. There's definitely one group of people who either um, like wh- whose work style has changed or their preference for work style has changed. There are actually people who do really want to go back into the office and they've been working for a company hundreds of miles away and they don't want to continue on that path. So waiting for the right opportunity can take a while for them. But equally, you have people who are having to go back to the office and maybe they've relocated. So that just doesn't make sense for them. There are people who are looking to leave a couple of companies. I would say there's definitely, I don't know if it's like a symptom of the pandemic or all the change or you know the turbulence is happening. But I do think that in places like employee relations have um, soured, like a lot of people who are leaving, I think they just, they're not necessarily getting on with their colleagues anymore, or they didn't know them. And now they've got to know them. And, you know, there's issues with team dynamics there. But ultimately, a lot of the time it is coming down to managers. Um, And in good companies, it's still really hard to tempt people away. And there has to be an exciting proposition or something that really matters to that candidate to get them to join your organization. So just because there is an increase in turnover and people are looking, it doesn't necessarily um, 
that it's any easier to recruit. If anything, people have, there was a lot of people who changed roles during the pandemic and maybe had like a false start of three months or six months somewhere. And it's made them quite cautious about what they will do moving forwards. But definitely lack of career development, not knowing how to move forward, um, and a change of work style. Money's an issue. People are a bit more realistic about what can happen with salaries just now. But yeah, stress, burnout, mostly boss related, I would say. And I'm sure we can get onto some of that in, uh, in a bit. <laughs> Definitely. So, Andrew, you've also got your own take. And we had a fascinating conversation about the generational differences in the workplace. Um, it'd be great if you could share that with everyone. Yeah, I think um, I think maybe this could be a webinar in itself in the future. But uh, I think for the sake of time, I'll I'll, I'll maybe just focus on, on a little bit of um, reading I was doing around um, Gen Z. Um, so I think you know from what I've what I've read, it's um, uh, sort of the Gen Gen Z is taking up about twenty percent of the of the sort of the workforce at the moment. But by twenty thirty, that'll be over half. So I really you know uh, it's really important I think that we get to understand. This generation coming through the uh, coming through the, the workplace and um, and and I think it's a really interesting group of people. Um, and I was watching a great talk by uh, by Simon Sinek, and he was talking about how Gen Z and and some younger millennials as well actually um, in in general. This isn't everyone, but in general, are more conflict avoidant than other generations. So, you know, if they feel like they want a raise, for example, if they feel like they want to give some difficult feedback, instead of having that difficult conversation, they'll just leave. Um, and I say, like I say, this is a general generalization, but but you could all of a sudden have a uh, a sort of a, a a notice hit your hit your email, and it'll feel really out of the blue. Um, but it's because the, the sort of, uh, in general, slightly more conflict avoidant than other generations have been. So I think it's something we need to be really conscious about and support in uh, support them in having those conversations and being able to have those conversations, um, whether that's through training or coaching or you know whatever works. But um, I think also for managers as well, just to be super aware that we need to create a space where people feel able to share these things and, and share them in like a non-judgmental way. Definitely. And psychological safety is really hard to foster in your environment. I guess what you said at first, I was a little bit surprised of, then I thought a bit about it and the experiences that I've had working with Gen Z and um, they've, they've all been really positive so far. But one thing that I just see about um, their generation compared to people like me who, you know, I'm in my early 40s, is it grew up without social media as a teenager and very, very grateful for it as much as I love it. The, you, they've grown up in a world where you, you share your likes all the time and your positives, you know, there's probably a very small percentage of Gen Z that are ever negative online. They've brought up in a with that social dynamic around them. And I can see how that would translate into the workforce and make people feel just a little bit more, um, well, it's just unusual to maybe tell someone mm. something they don't want to hear. Yeah, that's it. And I think it is just, um, it is a case of, of, of supporting, uh, supporting people to have these types of conversations or being able to feel comfortable sharing when they have something to to share. It's uh, it is an interesting one. Um, but I think it's clear with, with, um, with with a few generations coming into the workforce that it's much more than just a job 
So it's about the dev- it's about the development. It's about the opportunities. But I think particularly um, uh, s- sustainability came up as a big one as well. Um, so how are businesses being uh, more proactive in the community? How are they being more proactive around the planet? Um, and I think that's something that yeah, again, we need to be be super aware of. So um, I'd be interested to understand Rebecca though around if you see a similar sort of difference between role types or people going for different roles if there's a contrast in terms of what people are looking for and how they operate in the in the workplace i think one thing that i'm seeing in general for anyone who's looking to change roles just now is just um there's a lot more maturity around how people assess the robustness of the commercial side of a business that they're thinking of joining and they will ask much more more detailed questions than they previously would have around, you know, share allocation, um, rather than just wanting to know who the investors are potentially. They also, um, like sales, revenue, commercial in particular, um, in the startup world are asking a lot more questions around kind of like resources and support they will have in building their pipeline. One of the things that is really easy to do is to hire someone and think they're going to solve all of those problems, especially in sales, when the reality is that person can't execute without certain tools nowadays in the modern world. No, totally. Um, technically, people are still looking for that creative challenge and making sure they're not looking for any legacy um, tech, but definitely questions around career development when I'm looking at projects which encompass early years. But... Um, at the senior end of the market, people are looking a lot more at the opportunity to have some skin in the game, how that's really going to work. And you know, will, will they have access to external mentors is something I'm hearing more people ask for. But yeah, definitely um, lots of things to consider there if you are having to backfill those roles. But one of the things that I have been speaking to people about quite a bit at the moment is around how you can build retention into hiring because obviously there's been quite a few costly mistakes that some businesses are making not all of them and um when we were having a conversation about this you're like oh retention doesn't really that's not really for talent acquisition and recruitment to deal with but um i think there were a few things that we discussed at that point yeah absolutely i think we had a great conversation around like structured hiring and how you know, and I think you were speaking really, yeah. So you, yeah, mentioned some really interesting points around what, um, what processes are in place to make sure that we're making those great hires, which, you know, ultimately will help us to keep keep hold of those people. It'd be cool to hear a little bit more about that. So, like many businesses are now using structured hiring, building out their scorecards, and thinking, you know, about who they're going to bring in much more carefully as, you know, certainly as a result of like salaries going up so much and there being a lack of, you know, well, less investment into the tech sector. People have been a lot more thoughtful around their hiring decisions where they may have been a little bit more instinctive. But one of the things that um, I have been working with people on is like how you build retention in at that phase. And it's really easy for your scorecards can just cover things like the essential experience someone must have, skills and the attributes. And then 
a couple of hygiene questions like where does this person live? Are they happy with the money? Those kind of things that you might just want to tick off as a sanity check. But actually having um, a section dedicated to retention into your recruitment scorecards can make a big impact. So um, some of the things that you might put in there that are really easy to forget when you are in a rush to bring people into your company are like ensuring, it, you know, sanity checks around, is this person a fit in terms of their career aspirations? Can we help them develop effectively? Um, are we able to provide the resources that they're looking for to continue their career? Because those are things that you might ask, you know, quite, quite well, some of those things anyway would be things you would ask a year later, maybe in an annual review, hopefully before that. <laughs> but you would be thinking a lot more about career development at that stage. But when that is becoming um, so much more important to you know Gen Z in particular, I think baking that in from the outset and you know thinking a little bit more about um, you know will they be happy in this role is going to be absolutely vital because. You're setting yourself up for failure if you hire the best possible person and think, yeah, this person's, I don't know, like technically amazing or they've got the best sales figures I've ever seen or they've, they've transformed companies in these ways. But if you can't actually, if they're, if they're not going to be happy and, and achieve those goals that they have started working towards already, potentially, they're just going to leave you. And I think you would be better off um, not hiring essentially um, and making sure that you can have some stability in the team, especially for senior roles or anything client facing. Yeah. It's so interesting because you kind of, you can see why people get into that mindset of we should just hire the best person, but it's the best person for that role. Not, yeah. not just the best person. It was just, yeah. Where what where does val, val, values alignment and that that whole idea come in come into that? Is it is it a big big piece of this or? Yeah, definitely. I think you certainly want to have that, and nearly everyone has got you know culture attitude fit, um, or what can this person bring to the culture within their scorecard? But um, values are becoming much more important to people, and if if they don't align, people will just leave pretty abruptly like that that is um I, I think is much less tolerated than it used to be yeah and so is this scorecard something you take clients through kind of step by step or how how does the how does that that piece work yeah definitely um take people like, tailor it to their situation as well um you know, and address any kind of underlying problems within their business that they've shared. But I think that it only works if you're going to assess against it. So there's a couple of key questions that I would lean into and listen really closely to um, people's answers in an interview. And they're, they're really obvious ones, but they are ones which people forget to ask, especially when they're under pressure to get somebody in. Um, and those are like the first one, really obvious, like out of all your most, the jobs you've had, what are, what ones were your most favorite and why? And then asking the opposite, you know, out of all the jobs you've had, which ones were the least favorite and why? And just making sure that you can um, replicate what's needed and that you are not actually, you know, mimicking an environment where someone has not enjoyed work or not been successful in the past, um, 
everybody take, it takes different things for people to realize their talents um, in different organizations. But then asking people, like, tell me about your career goals. Um, and then importantly, um, I like to always ask people what steps towards those they've taken. I think that's a really telling one because it's very easy for people to, to come up with the first answer and a little bit harder for the second one. Um, but then I think having a conversation at that point to check, you know, what do you need an employer to do? Because um, especially across generations, some people are looking for more support in the workplace around their development. Whereas um, like, I don't know, people in their, in their forties quite often, they'd just rather be left to go and sort it out themselves. Um, So (laughs) I think that, you know, acknowledging that and then checking, is that something that I can provide early on is absolutely, um, absolutely vital. And, you know, recently there was a search I did for a CTO. It felt like we had a rock star who was walking away by not, you know, when they declined the role, but actually, you know, I, I was quite happy for them and everyone because it wasn't the right career match. And that is something which you need to have in order for someone to stay within your business. And then, you know, very quickly um, found another person who actually was just, you know, the the other candidates set the bar for technical aptitude and other skills, but actually just a much better alignment around the direction of the business. So it is worth persevering with. Yeah, totally. Feels just got it's got to be a fit for for everyone, and uh, I can I can see how, um, you know how you could take those questions and almost use them while someone's in the business as well. You know, if whether that's you know a manager asking you know career you know career sort of aspiration those types of questions. We can get onto that in a bit, but just yeah, I think you could, there's so much symmetry there between hiring and then um, sort of once they're in the business as well. I think they are both you know like reviews and interviews they are both different forms of assessment where everyone should you know both sides are going into an interview and thinking is this right for me um but people should be you know constantly assessing that alignment and feel much more open to see that you know this 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 is great for me now but we should we should be in a position where we can have a lot more i'm going to need a bit more or I'll have to look. People people shouldn't be afraid of saying that because actually that's great for a manager to hear early so they can plan. <laughs> yeah, 100%. The more information, the better. Yeah. And uh, yeah, what else, what else are you doing to sort of enhance that overall candidate experience? And um, sounds like you've got such a great sort of step-by-step process. Um, is there anything else that's uh, that's in there? I won't bore everyone with the, with the minutia of that, but definitely I think that... We have to remember that people who have got options right now when you're hiring, they, they, there's, they're going to continue to have options in six to 12 months if it's not worked out. So definitely making sure that there's a really good process will like around recruitment and then onto onboarding, I do think will make a difference. Certainly people who leave quite quickly, some of the things they tell me is, you know, I just got no information about the company. Um, I I wasn't sure what I was meant to be doing. And it could be that they just weren't told that they weren't doing the right things mm. even because <laughs> you know, they didn't know sometimes. But onboarding is absolutely vital. And I think as well, like um, 
thinking about how you position an offer to someone can also help with retention around salary reviews, managing people's expectations from the outset there and tailoring things for possible, especially if you are in an early stage business. That's something that you have to your advantage. So you can set yourself up for stronger retention if you put a little bit more um, in at the first stages. 100%. Yeah, that effort definitely pays off. And Andrew, I'm really interested to hear a bit from yourself now. Um, Tell me a little bit about the dynamic between people ops and managers and businesses and how that aids retention because it is something that you know it can be an you know an overlooked resource from time to times and you know people don't realize how much support they can get within their own business yeah definitely i think um there's such a close connection between managers and um and engagement and retention and you know we've been talking seems like forever um in terms of people don't leave businesses they leave managers i think it was like the early 90s that 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 sort of term first first sort of came about and i think we'll probably be be talking about it in another 90 years as well but i think the way that i have been thinking about it or at least the way that i've been talking to other businesses about it is um i've did a been doing sort of quite a bit of research into um, Gallup and how they approach engagement. Um, and they've kind of developed these 12 employee needs um, for, for engagement. So 12, 12 things, 12 factors that employees need to, to feel engaged at an organization. What are they? Oh, I can, I can share the, I can share the, um, I can share the report, but it's, you know, it's things I'm like sure after. Career, career development, feeling part of a team, feeling cared for all these, all these types of things. And uh, I think, I think the, 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 the shocking thing or the interesting thing is that managers are directly responsible for 70% of those, uh, of those drivers. So like the overwhelming majority of an employee's engagement leads back to a manager. Um, but then there's like this other side of, of the coin where um, there's stats out there saying 82% of managers aren't equipped to be a manager. They haven't had the training to, to help them be a great, great manager. And um, the super st- scary stat that I came across was that there are approximately or estimated to be 2.4 million untrained managers in the uk workforce which i don't you know yeah that really doesn't surprise anyone because i certainly didn't get any management or leadership training until well after and i do i do look back now and i think oh if only i'd known that or yeah i would have dealt with that situation differently and i would like to think that over time my skills have improved. I'm sure they. I'm sure they have. But I think it's a. It's a. It's a proactive thing, or it should be a proactive thing. I think so many businesses wait until it's a fire, and then all of a sudden they need an intervention. They need. They need some support. But I think particularly for like the scaling businesses, um, you know, with so such rapid growth, people will just if they if they're good at their job, they'll inherit a team. Um, they'll 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 inherit people, you know, or if they you know, if someone has founded a business and it, and it grows and all of a sudden they become a CEO, like that, they're two very, very different roles and, and require two very, very different skill sets. And there's a, and there's a term going around at, at the moment. It's not a particularly nice term, but we call these people accidental managers and like they've just inherited a group of people, but don't necessarily have 
the skill. Um, and when you're in such an influential position like that, it can be so costly if, uh, if you get it wrong. So, um, so yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. And really daunting for the individual if they're put in that situation. I think that it can be, yeah, a bit overwhelming for some people. So Andrew, tell me, what are the most important skills that you think managers need to develop um, early on? Yeah, I, I think um, I like to I like to think about this in terms of conversations. So yes, there's skills that underpin these conversations, but I think everything that a manager does leads back to having brilliant conversations. Um, there's four types of conversations that I sort of I think about or talk about, and um, I've um, easily put them into four C's. I like a little bit of alliteration. So we've got the four C's of great conversations. Um, the first one is coaching conversations. So I think the role of a manager is rapidly turning into that of a coach. So, you know, um, we need to help managers build these coaching skills, whether that's asking great questions or building a space for employees to think, or even just recognizing that they don't need to have all the answers or know all the stuff. That's okay. It's just about having a, having a sort of a coaching conversation around that and helping their team to think. Um, Career conversations uh, is the second one. So career development, I think no shock that it's the number one driver of engagement in organizations at the moment. So how are managers equipped to have these conversations about growth and aspirations? Courageous conversations is probably the one that comes into uh, people's minds uh, in terms of like the one that builds the most anxiety in managers. I think there's a lot of difficult conversations that managers have to have. They, you know, could be managing up, it could be constructive feedback, performance management. They all need courage in some some way, shape, or form, but managers probably don't feel supported or know how to tackle them. Um, and then the last one is caring conversations. So our managers are so well placed to be able to spot those like really early warning signs of mental ill health, of poor physical health, of burnout. Um, but do they feel confident to ask questions about that, to have a conversation around it, to really show that empathy and care? So, um, so that's a really, so another really powerful conversation for for people to have. So, I think if we can support managers to have those types of conversations, and obviously underpinned by um, you know, some some great skills, some great questions, some great frameworks. I think we're going a long way to to really help um, help our managers, but also to help retention and engagement in the process. I love those four C's there: um, coaching, career, courageous, and caring. And I think as well with caring, we have to remember that just because someone tells you something doesn't mean that you have to be the person to fix it. You can always signpost them elsewhere and that might be the most appropriate thing to do. It's a great shout. When people are in work um, in your company, how do you identify gaps in those skills? Because they all sound pretty critical. I mean, you, you know, courageous is hard, caring is vital. Um, career, you said, were, that was the number one thing that people are looking for. So t- tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I think, okay, again, it goes back to a conversation and I think this time a conversation with your workforce so you know whether that's through engagement surveys whether that's you know um, pulse surveys whether it's just word of mouth focus groups or whatever it is I think it's having a two-way dialogue with your uh, with your with your team with the people in in your organization um it's 
yeah, it could be people feeling there's no opportunity, people feeling unsupported. You know, we could start to see presenteeism or people, um, you know, taking sick leave and, you know, you can glean so much from like all these different avenues. But if you're not listening or if you don't have that two-way dialogue, you know, you're just going to be sort of stabbing in the dark almost. So, um, so I think that would be a first thing would be to open up really open and honest two-way dialogue. Um, and then, I think the other slightly um, slightly different way of looking at it is by um, helping your managers with like one-to-one coaching. So um, in like these coaching conversations, it's amazing what new awareness comes up. Um, so whether that's gaps in your knowledge, gaps in your skill set, um, whether that's just thinking, oh, actually this this thing that I'm thinking about now is is what's been blocking me and you know it's what's been stopping me having these conversations and and now i can start to work towards um getting past that so i think investing it is a big investment but i think investing in coaches for your management team i think again is going to be a great way to open up some of that insight into into what might not be quite right and so, you, so you've highlighted there the value of almost like coaching the, the coaches within your organization um can you give an example where like, training management has really helped to boost retention just so we can bring it back to that? Because it is, it's, it's, it's the most vital thing to invest in to improve your retention, I imagine. Um, I remember a group of um, graduates that we, uh, we, we hired into a business that I was working in. And, um, and, and I think we, we all sort of knew the sort of the stats and the potential for people. So there's a 12 month program that they were on. Um, and we sort of knew some of them would probably leave at the end of that program. Some of them maybe would even leave during the program. And we, we'd sort of resided to the fact that that would, um, that that would happen just based on the stats that were out there. But, um, but we also had a really like really engaged group of managers who were supporting these graduates through their through, through their time with us, and we made it a real focus to support our managers uh, to be able to have really great career conversations with these graduates, so that they knew that there was a path for them after the twelve months. They knew there was going to be opportunity for them to grow in that in that organization. Um, and yeah, it was it was amazing to see the managers growing in confidence in having these these conversations that was great to see but the, the sort of the stats didn't lie um so there was 10 graduates none of them left at, after the end of that 12 months and eight of them were promoted into uh, into more senior roles um and that all came from these managers having brilliant and consistent career conversations with them so um so yeah that's probably one of the yeah the, the best ones that I've come across so I'm conscious of time, so um, it would be good, I guess, if we both touch on a little bit about some of the warning signs that we see in businesses. Um, what are the things that you have observed, like when, once people are in the door and you think, oh, that, that's maybe something we should be watching for retention issues in future? Yeah, I think, again, it's, it's, it's all of the output from, from these conversations that, that you're having with, um, with your, in, if you're in a manager's shoes, with your, with your direct reports. I think, um, you know, the one-to-one meeting, I think, is probably one of the most important meetings that a manager can have because there's, there's so much that can that can come out of that, whether that's career aspirations or maybe it's even the stuff that that isn't being said. You know, maybe 
a really sort of high flyer or really sort of vocal member of the team is starting to withdraw, starting to um, not to share their opinion, not to share what their what their hopes and dreams are, and that can be a really yeah interesting sign when when that when that starts to to happen. That sort of um, yeah that sort of lack of engagement. Um, yeah, again, again, sort of when we sort of go all the way back to the start, when we're thinking about productivity, when you know we start to see some of the um, some of the work quality or quantity start to drop off, I think that can be a really uh, a really sort of um, early warning sign of um, of yeah, maybe something's not not quite right. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's uh, if there are things that come up in the conversations you have, Rebecca. So. I think that one of the biggest warning signs that I, well, there's there's two, but one of them is that people are actually telling you they have problems and then you're doing nothing about them. Like that, that feels like something that candidates at all levels have always spoken to me about. And that it's like, well, um, you know, there's a sense of frustration and it's not, you know, if they have had that conversation with you about a problem, I think there's nothing worse than doing nothing. Basically, um, even if you can't do anything, I think, you know, it's still doing something where you explain to someone, I can't change that. Like, this is why. Or, you know, maybe we can we can tweak this to help things. But I don't, um, like, it does sound like people raise their issues and they are not always listened to. And it, that could be part of managers just not having the confidence to have some of those more courageous conversations. And then the other warning sign that is just like the the lack of conversations that people might be having. Um, it's, it's not unusual for people to feel very disconnected from their teams, especially those people who are in that risk category of they're working remotely, but actually want to go into an office hybrid or in person. You have to be very close to them because for them, it could be you know part of the social interaction at work that's missing and you know pe- people maybe sometimes withdraw in advance of um, leaving I'm sure I'm sure there's lots of other warning signs but the, the main things that people talk to me about are I really wanted to make this work or I tried or and every now and again it's just I can't go any further I don't know what to do so and and rarely people say I've had that conversation internally. That's so interesting because yeah, I think we all, we think about these warning signs as being something that's like hidden that we need to discover. But actually, someone just saying I have this problem and I want to talk about a potential solution. It's so interesting. And one of the other things that I will like do, depending on. Um, the circumstances of a search is, where possible, I will try and take the ex- try and take an exit interview from someone who's leaving, and I find it like really amazing how few exit interviews actually take place. You know, there's, there's there's maybe like a survey, but I don't think that that ever really gets to the heart of any of the more challenging management issues that people have maybe um, confronted at work if, if they've had problems being a manager or, um, and, and that could impact your organizational design. And I don't think it also um, gives much actionable feedback that a manager would want to improve. You know, if you're a manager and people in your team start leaving, 
and you know that the turnover is high, it's going to give you the fear a little bit and you'd rather know what's going on and have a chance to fix things, in my opinion. 100%. Yeah. I think definitely having the, having the option at least to, to give it a go. So I think one of, the, one of the things that's come out of this is just we, we live in a work environment right now where so much is done via Slack and WhatsApp and emails that we just need to be maybe a bit more personal in our approach in terms of the amount of face-to-face or virtual face-to-face communication that we have. Totally. And I, I think there's maybe a nervousness for, for some of us and, you know, spoken a lot about conversations and there's a nervousness that we get those conversations wrong and that'll probably happen, but maybe just having a little bit of vulnerability to, to sort of say, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly how to have this conversation or I'm not sure exactly how this conversation is going to go, but I want to, I want to have a shot and I want to, want to see and see where we get to and just open that bit of dialogue. So, so yeah, I think we can talk about the support that's needed and we can talk about what we're maybe not doing, but also I think, yeah, just, just giving it, giving it a go. And I would also advocate, just as an afterthought, that um, exit interviews where possible are done by the TA person or, you know, if you are working with a search partner, um, with someone who is involved in the replacement so that that feedback can be built in because you don't always know that there is a problem with a job. And we've, we've talked, that you know, about people leaving managers, but actually sometimes some jobs are just bad jobs. They're impossible. and you're never going to be able to achieve what you set out to do for various reasons. It could be to do with resources or, um, you know, something completely outside of your control. Mm. And that is not always picked up on. Mm, I think you're so right. I think it's, uh, I think what one thing we've definitely sort of figured out is it's a, it's a difficult, uh, difficult journey. There's lots of moving parts, but uh, yeah, hopefully some, some helpful thoughts uh, in the, in the last 45 minutes. So we will, um, we, we will follow up with some information. Certainly, I'm happy to share my um, best retention questions to ask interview and how to go about developing your own retention scorecard along with um, some top tips there. Um, I know that you've also got some ideas of things that you'd be happy to help people with and you're always open to having a conversation with people about um, management skills in particular. That's a real passion point for you. Yeah, I think I uh, must have said conversations more than uh, yeah, more than any other word today. But um, yeah, happy to happy to have a have a chat. Um I'll um yeah, I'll also yeah, follow up and uh, yeah, if there's anything I can help with always uh, always keen. Great. Well, um if anybody has any questions, you know, get in touch with myself or Andrew at any point. Thanks so much for uh, for setting this all up, Rebecca. It's uh, it's been great to to chat about. No problem. Well, thanks so much, and let us know if there's anything we can help with, or if you have any top tips on retention that we've missed. That would also be great to know. Thanks for listening to the Listen Perspective. I'm Rebecca Hastings, founder and director at the Listen Group a tech sector executive search and talent consultancy. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. If you're a company looking to hire top technology leaders, or you'd like to discuss your next move, please reach out to me on LinkedIn or send me an email to rebecca at thelistengroup.co.uk. Thanks again for listening today.